to the book of Second Chronicles. Second Chronicles. And our text is chapter 34, Second Chronicles chapter 34. Please give careful attention now to the reading of God's very word. Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem, and he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and walked in the ways of David his father, and he did not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. For in the eighth year of his reign, while he was yet a lad, he began to seek the God of David his father. And in the twelfth year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places, the Asherim and the carved and metal images. And they chopped down the altars of the Baals in his presence. And he cut down the incense altars that stood above them. And he broke in pieces the Asherim and the carved and the metal images. And he made dust of them and scattered it over the graves of those who had sacrificed to them. He also burned the bones of the priests on their altars and cleansed Judah and Jerusalem. And in the cities of Manasseh, Ephraim, and Simeon, and as far as Naphtali, in their ruins all around, he broke down the altars and beat the Asherim and the images into powder and cut down all the incense altars throughout all the land of Israel. Then he returned to Jerusalem. Now in the 18th year of his reign, when he had cleansed the land and the house, he sent Shaphan, the son of Azaliah, and Asiah, the governor of the city, and Joah, the son of Joahaz, the recorder, to repair the house of the Lord his God. They came to Hilkiah, the priest, the high priest, and gave him the money that had been brought into the house of God, which the Levites the keepers of the threshold had collected from Manasseh and Ephraim and from all the remnant of Israel and from all Judah and Benjamin and from the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And they gave it to the workmen who were working in the house of the Lord. And the workmen who were working in the house of the Lord gave it for repairing and restoring the builders to buy quarried stone and timber for binders and beams for the buildings that the kings of Judah had let go to Rome. And the men did the work faithfully. Over them were set Jahath and Obadiah, the Levites of the sons of Merari, and Zechariah and Meshulam of the sons of the Kohathites to have oversight. The Levites, all who were skillful with instruments of music, were over the burden bearers and directed all who did work in every kind of service. And some of the Levites were scribes and officials and gatekeepers. While they were bringing out the money that had been brought into the house of the Lord, Hilkiah the priest found the book of the law of the Lord given through Moses. And then Hilkiah answered and said to Shaphan the secretary, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan. And Shaphan brought the book to the king. 
and further reported to the king all that was committed to your servants they are doing. They have emptied out the money that was found in the house of the Lord and have given it into the hand of the overseers and the workmen. Then Shaphan the secretary told the king, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book. And Shaphan read from it before the king. And when the king heard the words of the law, he tore his clothes. And the king commanded Hilkiah, Ahiakim the son of Shaphan, Abdon the son of Micah, Shaphan the secretary, Aziah the king's servant, saying, Go inquire of the Lord for me, for those who are left in Israel and in Judah, concerning the words of the book that has been found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is poured out on us because our fathers have not kept the word of the Lord to do according to all that is written in this book. So Hilkiah and those whom the king had sent went to Huldah, the prophetess, the wife of Shalom, the son of Tokhat, son of Hazra, keeper of the wardrobe, now she lived in Jerusalem in the second quarter and spoke to her to that effect. And she said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Tell the man who sent you to me, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will bring disaster upon this place and upon its inhabitants. All the curses that are written in the book that was read before the king of Judah, because they have forsaken me and have made offerings to other gods, that they might provoke me to anger with all their, the works of their hands. Therefore my wrath will be poured out on this place and will not be quenched. But to the king of Judah, who sent you to inquire of the Lord, thus shall you say to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, regarding the words that you have heard, because your heart was tender, and you humbled yourself before God when you heard his words against this place and its inhabitants, and you have humbled yourself before me and have torn your clothes and wept before me. I also have heard you, declares the Lord. <coughs> Behold, I will gather you to your fathers, and you shall be gathered to your grave in peace. And your eyes shall not see <coughs> all the disaster that I will bring upon this place and its inhabitants. And they brought that word to the king. Then the king sent and gathered together all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. And the king went up to the house of the Lord with all the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and the priests and the Levites, all the people both great and small. And he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant that had been found in the house of the Lord. And the king stood in his place and made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart and all his soul to perform the words of the covenant that were written in this book. And then he made all who were present in Jerusalem and in Benjamin join in it. And the inhabitants of Jerusalem did according to the covenant of God, the God of their fathers, 
And Josiah took away all the abominations from all the territory that belonged to the people of Israel and made all who were present in Israel serve the Lord their God. All his days they did not turn away from following the Lord, the God of their fathers. Thus ends the reading of God's very word. Let's pray. Father, as we read about this amazing event that took place thousands of years ago, Lord, this great work that you did, touching the heart of this young boy who became king at eight years old, we pray that you would stir in our hearts hope and joy to belong to you, Lord Jesus, and that we would give ourselves to serve you like King Josiah did. And that, Lord, the mighty work that you did in him and through him, <coughs> that you would do in our hearts and our homes and this congregation and this community. And it would spread all over this land. Oh, Lord, that all of the congregations of your people who love you, Lord Jesus, in this land would be stirred by your blessed spirit to repent and believe in you, Lord Jesus, anew. And that, Lord, you would have mercy upon us. Now come, Lord, and teach us from this passage what you would have us to learn, to do in our day. In Jesus we pray, amen. Well, uh, we have been looking at this passage of scripture Sunday evening and we've seen that Josiah was one of the godly kings of Judah that he became king when he was eight years old the ripe age of eight and you who are older if you're eight years old or younger you can just imagine becoming a king um and uh, what an amazing thing. This young man had uh, uh, godly people uh, encouraging him. We do not know the details uh, of what was going on. Uh, what we do know is that in the 12th, uh, uh, the eighth year of his reign, um, while he was yet a lad, 16 years old, um, he began to seek the face of God. He's converted and is giving himself to follow the Lamb. And then for four years, he studies and learns, God, what do you want me to be doing? And in the 12th year of his reign now, he's 20 years old, he begins a house cleaning uh, in, in the kingdom. Uh, that he reigns over, and even in the territories that had broken away, that had been destroyed uh, under the king of Assyria, uh, but the remnant of God's people remained in these other uh, uh, tribes. Uh, and he even reached out beyond the borders of Judah, uh, seeing a, a revival and a reformation a return to the true and the living God. 
And after that had been completed, uh, at the beginning of that Reformation, uh, the prophet Jeremiah began his preaching um, there in Jerusalem. And you can uh, read through the book of, of, of Jeremiah uh, sometime and just note that it, his ministry began um, in the, the first year, the 13th year of King Josiah's reign. Um, well, while they were refurbishing the temple, after that was finished in the 18th year of his reign, um, Josiah is the ripe age of 26 now. And he says, we need to refurbish the temple and all of the buildings around it. And so he uh, led that revival. And while they were working on rebuilding, um, in, in the olden days, many times in important buildings, particularly in, in the basement and the first floors, um, they would make those libraries and they would have little niches between the huge stones and that's where they would keep scrolls. And while they are refurbishing the temple, one of the workmen discovered a portion of Scripture that had been for at least decades, if not longer, just lost. Nobody had paid any attention to it. It, it was just rolled up, gathering dust. And these workmen find this portion uh, of the books of Moses. We don't know explicitly from Scripture whether it was all five books or whether it was just Deuteronomy or Deuteronomy and Leviticus, uh, that we do not know. But we know it was the, the, the portion of Scripture that contained God's warnings, uh, particularly in Leviticus and Deuteronomy, that if his people ever turned away from him, uh, that he would destroy the temple. And he would scatter his people to the four corners of the earth if they ever went after false gods. And so they find this scroll, they started reading it, and they were like, whoa. And they went and gave it to uh, the king, and he read it. And when he read it, in verse 19 of our text, when the king heard the words of the law, he tore his clothes. Now, in that culture, whenever you were in great distress, if you got news that a loved one had died, uh, if, if you got news that uh, uh, the, the military had been defeated in some uh, expedition, uh, uh, the symbol of grieving, the symbol of agony, the symbol of, of being in distress was that you would tear your clothes. It was an outward symbol. And in King Josiah's 
case. It's interesting, Jeremiah, in his, he says, listen, don't just tear your clothes. You need to tear your heart. Uh, you don't need just the outward symbol of being grieved over your sin. You need uh, uh, the real thing on the inside. Well, that's what Josiah experienced. And he immediately said, we are in huge trouble. And so he told uh, Hilkiah, uh, he says, I want you to go and inquire of the Lord for me and for those who are left in Israel and in Judah concerning the words of the book that has been found. And this is in verse 21 of our text. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is poured out on us because our fathers have not kept the word of the Lord to do according to all that is written in this book. Uh, he is broken before the Lord. And the reason he's broken is he says we have violated the revealed will of Almighty God. We have not done what God told us to do. And this has been going on for generations. Our fathers have not done what God said to do. And here we are. We didn't even know that this portion of Scripture existed. So Hilkiah goes uh, and gets a word from the Lord. And this word from the Lord comes back saying, Indeed, God is going to destroy Jerusalem and the temple will be destroyed. But the king who sent you to inquire of me, here's what I say. Thus says the Lord. Because, and I want you to notice in verse 26 of our text. But to the king of Judah, who sent you to inquire of the Lord, thus shall you say to him, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, regarding the words that you have heard, because your heart was tender. And you humbled yourself before God when you heard his words against this place and its inhabitants. And you have humbled yourself before me and have torn your clothes and wept before me. I also have heard you, declares the Lord. I, uh, God says, I, I've heard your plea for mercy. I've heard, and so I will not bring this disaster to destroy Jerusalem in your day. And I do hear your cry for mercy. Now, turn back with me to chapter 7 of Second Chronicles. Chapter 7. And this really is the theme that outlines either the revivals that took place in various of the kings of Judah or the lack of spiritual life. When the, the leaders that reflected the people in that day refused to seek the face of God, 
the Lord would chasten his people. And this is the Lord's answer now to King Solomon when the temple was being dedicated. Look at verse 12. Then the Lord appeared to Solomon in the night and said to him, I have heard your prayer. I have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice when I shut up the heavens. And we don't have time to look at it, but I would encourage you to read chapter 6, which is Solomon's prayer. And before you read chapter 6, or after you read chapter 6, go back and read Leviticus 26 and Deuteronomy 28. Because that's what Solomon's prayer is based upon. God had warned his people, If you ever turn away from me, here are the judgments I will pour out upon you. If you love me and trust in me, I'm going to bless you coming and going. You will not know what to do with all the blessings I shower upon you. But if you ever turn away from me, I will cause you to know my powerful hand of judgment. And these judgments will increase and increase and increase and culminate if you don't repent in me destroying Jerusalem and the temple and scattering you to the ends of the earth. And so Solomon is praying now when the temple is dedicated, Lord, if your people sin against you and turn back to you and come to the temple, to this house that I've built for you at your instruction and offer a sacrifice then hear from heaven and forgive their sin and restore them. And that's Solomon's prayer. Illustration after illustration after illustration taken from Leviticus 26 and Deuteronomy 28. And it's a long prayer. And he just goes through all of these different scenarios of people, individuals, Families, business deals, partnerships that have gone sour, uh, God's people being in military conflicts, all of these various scenarios of life. A plague breaks out. All kinds of things, God says, whenever there's distress, if you come and you seek my face here at the temple. And so here's what God said. I've heard your prayer have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice when I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain or command the locusts to devour the land or send pestilence among my people. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. And so that's what we see Josiah doing in chapter 34. We see him humbling himself. We see him seeking the face of God. We see him praying. We see him turning from wickedness. And the Lord says, I've heard you, and I will forgive you, and I'm going to smile upon you during your 
reign during your time walking on this earth because you tore not just your robe, but your heart. You wept before me over your sin. So, um, what we're going to look at now for the next few minutes is, what does God want us to learn from this? We see that the people renewed their covenant with God, and we're going to look at that next Lord's Day, but we're going to look today about this matter of repentance. In the Old Testament, the word for repentance was the little Hebrew word shuv, which literally means to turn, to turn. And it's found in this text of chapter 7. If you turn from your wicked ways, that's the term repentance. We see Josiah repenting of sin. And so what do we need to do? Well, uh, we desperately need the word of the living God to be rediscovered in our day. Because not only is repentance something that the Spirit of God grants, but He uses the Word of God to work that in people's hearts. And you see that in this text of Second Chronicles 34. It was when the Word of God was read that Josiah sees his sin. And he grieves over it and turns to God. We desperately need God to pour forth his spirit to grant repentance and faith in Jesus. Now, let's look at some passages of, of scripture. And we're just going to look at a number of passages to try to nail down exactly what repentance is and what it looks like in our lives. First of all, repentance is something that God gives. Um, if you'll turn with me to Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11. And we say that, that repentance is part of the gospel. Repentance is part of the grace of God, the grace that God gives when he saves people. And a synonym for grace is gift. Gift. Um, look at Acts chapter 11. Here, Peter is recounting the experience of preaching the gospel to Cornelius and his family and neighbors and friends that he had gathered together. And he's back in Jerusalem recounting this event. And so we read in verse 12, And the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. These six brothers also accompanied me. And we entered the man's house, and he told us, talking about Cornelius, how he had seen the angels stand in his house and say, Send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, and you and all your household. 
As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as on us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? And when they heard these things, they fell silent, and they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. And so to experience salvation is, yes, to believe in Jesus, but in our day and time you don't hear too much talked about repentance. But it is part of the gospel message. <laughs> he summarizes the gospel coming to them that God had granted to these Gentiles repentance that leads to life. Turn with me to another passage. Mark chapter 1. Mark the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1. Here we have a summary of Jesus preaching. And what was it that Jesus proclaimed when he preached the Gospel? Look at Mark, chapter 1, verse 14. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the Gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Repent and believe. Uh, repentance is something Jesus proclaimed. Why do we not hear about repentance in our culture today? By the vast majority of churches, they are not preaching the gospel according to Holy Scripture. That's why. And Part of the gospel is repenting. Um, let's look at another passage. Um, Acts chapter 20. Here is a summary of the Apostle Paul. His preaching of the gospel. Um, Acts chapter 20, verse 17 and following. Now from Miletus, he, Paul sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the, from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable, and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of what? Repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And there you see it again, repentance and faith. Sometimes the Bible, like in Acts chapter 11, just talks about God granting repentance. And faith is part 
of true repentance. It always accompanies true repentance, as we're going to see. And sometimes the Bible just uses the shorthand of talking about people believing in Jesus. But when people truly believe in Jesus, they have repented and are repenting of their sin and repenting. Notice how this passage describes it, repentance toward God. And so what is repentance? Well, repentance, the Greek term, I told you the Hebrew term, shuv, the Greek term, is a word of two Greek words glued together. That literally means a change of mind, metanoia, uh, meta, to change, and noia, noose, the mind, the Greek term, a change of mind. And so when a person repents, we have a change of mind about everything. We have a change of mind about God. We have a change of mind about what's right and wrong. We have a change of mind about the way we've been thinking and living. And when a person has repentance, we experience this incredible change of thinking and action. And we turn from sin to Jesus. That's what true repentance is. Well, let's look at a couple of passages that help us understand uh, what happens. And you see that in Josiah's uh, experience. He weeps. He tears his robes. I mean, he's, he's having a good day. And then all of a sudden, he reads the Word of God, and he goes, oh, this is not good. And he grieves. What is he grieving over? He's grieving over sin. He's grieving over the fact that he's done wrong against God, and the people that he leads have done wrong against God. And he's turning from grieving the heart of God to God, asking for mercy in Jesus. Look at Ezekiel chapter 36. Ezekiel chapter 36. And here Ezekiel is describing the experience that God would grant his people in the days of Messiah. Um, Look, uh, look at verse uh, 24. And I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness, from all your idols. I will cleanse you. I will give you a new heart and I, a new spirit I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules and you shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God and I will deliver you from all your uncleanness. 
And I will summon the grain and make it abundant and lay no famine upon you. I will make the fruit of the tree and the increase of the field abundant, that you may never again suffer the disgrace of famine among the nations. And then you will remember your evil ways and your deeds that were not good, and you will loathe yourselves for your iniquities and your abominations. Now I want you to notice verse 31. Here we have a description of what happens when God grants repentance. We loathe what we've done. We loathe that we've offended Almighty God. Not only do we see that sin is bad, but it is contrary to the nature of God. That's what makes sin so awful to us. Uh, when I was a, a, a young boy, one of the sins that I really struggled with was lying to my parents. And, and I'm ashamed of that, but that was something I really struggled with. And the Lord was very kind to me and began to really convict my heart. And one of the things that the Lord helped me was that my parents took me to a passage over in John chapter 8. And... John chapter 8 describes the devil. And Jesus was rebuking the unbelieving Jews in his day, his fellow countrymen. And he said, you claim that you're Abraham's children, but you're really not. Because if you really were Abraham's children, I know you're physically descended from Abraham, but... That doesn't make you a child of Abraham. What makes you a child of Abraham is to have the same belief and heart that Abraham had. And Abraham rejoiced to see my day. And he saw it and was glad. And if you would be true children of Abraham, you would rejoice in the Lord Jesus. That's what Jesus said. But then he said, but you have a different father. You are of your father, the devil. And you desire to do the deeds of your father. He was a liar and a murderer from the beginning. And you have believed the lie and you're speaking the lie. You're denying the truth that I'm Messiah. And you are just like your father, the devil, you're doing and being just like him. And my parents took me to that passage, and they said, Henry, this sin makes a person more like the devil than uh, any other sin. To lie and to have hatred in your heart, murder in your heart. And boy, that really hit me. I thought, whew, I don't, want, I, don't, I don't want to be a child of the evil one. And I started crying to the Lord Jesus, Lord, I had never thought about when I lie, I'm not only being like Satan, but you know what I'm saying? I'm saying, God, I don't like the way you are. I'm saying, God, you are a God of truth. And I hate the truth. I hate you. Oh, 
that began to change the way I viewed my sin. God started granting me repentance. I began to see not only is sin bad, but it is odious because it is against the character of God. It's against the nature of God. And that's true for all sin. All sin is an attack against the nature of God. Now, at this point, I want to warn you about counterfeit repentance. I want to warn you that there is a sorrow that on the surface looks very, very, very much like true repentance. There are two Greek words that are translated in some of your translations, uh, repent. Um, one of the translations, one of the reasons I like the ESV, which is what um, we, we are generally using, is that it uses two separate English words for these two different Greek words. Um, Turn with me to Matthew chapter 27 and 2 Corinthians chapter 7. And we'll start with 2 Corinthians chapter 7 because here these two Greek words are used in chapter 7. The Apostle Paul had written some tough things uh, just like uh, we looked at some of those things last Lord's Day. Uh, there, there are things that God says in his word that, that are, are, are difficult. They're painful. Uh, and yet, uh, God loves us and, and is leading us and correcting us and growing us, drawing us closer to himself. Well, in verse 5, um, we'll pick it up. For even when we came into Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, but we were afflicted at every turn, fighting without and fear within. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by coming, by the coming of Titus. And not only by his coming, but also by the comfort with which he was comforted by you. As he told us of your longing, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoice still more. For even if I made you grieve with my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it. Now, the word regret there is, is uh, some translations translate it re repent, but it's a different Greek word. Um, he, he goes on, he says, in... in um, Verse 8, though I did regret it, for I see that that letter grieved you, that only for a while, as it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. And that's our word now uh, for repentance. For you felt a godly grief so that you suffered no loss through us. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. And some translations have repentance again. But they're two different Greek words. And so there's regret, and then there's repentance. And regret is just being sorry 
that you did wrong and it focuses on yourself and the consequences of doing wrong. And we're going to look at two examples of counterfeit repentance. Matthew chapter 27. Here we read in verse 1, When morning came, all the chief priests and the elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. And they bound him and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate the governor. And then when Judas, his betrayer, saw that Jesus was condemned, he... And some of your translations say repented, but it's not metanoia. It's not the word for true repentance. It's this other word that just means sorrow. He regretted. Now, if you'd been there and seen Judas, you'd go, oh, look, he's sorry. He's, he's real sorry for what he did. He changed his mind. He brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. And they said, what is that to you? See to it yourself. And throwing down the pieces of silver into the temple, he departed. Judas said, I can't keep this money. I, 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 am, I grieve over what I've done. And he threw the coins down. And what did he do? He went out. And hanged himself. You see, his regret was just totally focused on himself and the consequences. He left God out of the picture. He wasn't broken that he had sinned against God and turning to God for mercy. And that's what true repentance does. Yes, we grieve. We take, we're like King Josiah. We tear a robe. And our heart is broken that we've done wrong. But we're turning to God, asking Him for mercy. And no matter what we've been, no matter what we've done, if we repent and turn to Jesus, He will never cast us aside. He's promised. He has promised. If we confess our sins, 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, He is what? Faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. One more passage that I, I want us to look at. And the other example we're not going to take time to look at. That's over in Hebrews chapter 12. You can read that for yourself. And it's about Jew, uh, Esau. We looked at Judas. He despaired. He just focused on the wrong that he had done and wallowed in it and despaired of life itself. The other example, Esau. Esau said, oh, what a fool I've been. I sold all the blessings for this bowl of red stew. What a fool I've been. Oh, I'm so, so sad. But he found no place for repentance. He wasn't grieved that he had done wrong against God. He was just grieved that he had gotten caught. And so be careful. Now, do you really need to be repenting? Because repentance doesn't sound like it's much fun, does it? 
you know, to be grieving over your sin and saying, oh, I've done wrong against God. But when you have true repentance, that's just part of it. You're turning to Jesus and he gives you relief. He turns your weeping into joy. And I want you to look. We're going to look at a couple of passages in closing. Look at Luke chapter 13. There were some present at that very time who told him, Jesus, about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. Pilate had, had slaughtered some of these people and they were going to offer sacrifices and their blood was mingled with the sacrifices. And he answered them, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed, do you think they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Jesus says that if we don't repent, we will perish. Repentance is a part of the gospel message. And those who refuse to talk about sin and what it is and turning from it to Jesus have perverted the gospel. They are not preaching according to Holy Scripture. And if our experience is that we think we can just mouth some words, I have Jesus, and we don't repent of our sin and turn from it to Jesus, it's a lie. It's a counterfeit. The gospel according to Holy Scripture is God coming and showing us His glory, His goodness, His beauty, and in the face of Jesus, I see my own sin and I grieve over it and run to him and say, Jesus, forgive me. And he cleanses us and he turns our weeping into joy. He gives us real joy. He gives us holy laughter. Not the world's fake pretend. Oh, isn't life great? And you see this all the time in the public square of people who act like they have the world by the tail. But they are alienated from God. It's all just a facade. It's an act. Because deep down inside, they know they're not right with God. And they're terrified of death. Oh, they may pretend and put on a good air. Well, let's look at one last passage over in the book of First Thessalonians. Huh, that's an interesting place to turn. First Thessalonians chapter 1. And it's been several months since we looked at this, so I will, you know, not give you too hard a time if you go, Huh, I had forgotten that was in there. All right, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. And here the Apostle Paul talks about what happened when the gospel came. 
to that dark pagan place of Thessalonica. Verse 8, well, verse 6. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Uh, when the gospel came, these people did what? They repented and believed. The Holy Spirit came down and gave them hearts that repented, that turned from living against God and worshiping idols, and they turned to the living God. And Jesus washed their sins away. And you can think back with me. The book of Jonah. Here's the... Assyrian Empire in the capital of the Assyrian Empire, Nineveh. And the message of the prophet Jonah, God told him to, to preach what? Forty days, Nineveh's going to be destroyed. And, and what happens? The people repented. They were grieved that they had lived against God and they turned from their sin to the living God. And the Lord forgave them. And for a hundred years, Nineveh existed after that. And then, by the third generation, they had forgotten all about repenting. And the book of Nahum describes for us how God says now, because you have turned away from me, I'm going to destroy Nineveh. Well, that's what we need. We need the Lord to graciously come by His Spirit. If we would be spared as individuals, that God would grant me and you hearts renewed to be repenting. Hating our sin because it's against God, turning from it, turning to Jesus. And He forgives he promises that's what our families need and we need to be repenting together that's what our congregation needs you can read over in the book of revelation chapter 2 jesus tells the church at ephesus if you don't repent of having left your first love i'm going to come and remove the light of my presence from you uh, in, in Revelation chapter 2, the church at Thyatira, uh, Jesus says, I gave Jezebel and those who were following her time to what? Repent. And because she refuses to repent, you say you can tolerate her wickedness and her immorality and her false teaching, but I'm not. And I'm going to reach down my hand directly. And I am going to kill her children. I'm going to put her on a sick bed and kill her children. Wow. 
Repent and believe in Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. That's what we need as individuals, families, our congregation to have a soft heart like you gave King Josiah. A heart that is grieved over our own sin. Lord, don't let our hearts grow hard and cold toward you. Lord, give us a tender heart. Keep our hearts tender. Lord, we, we, we are like a, a riverbed. Uh, Lord, if you don't keep giving us your spirit, uh, Lord, uh, the water will just become stagnant and, and dry up. And, and so, Lord, keep giving us repentance and faith in your Son. You have promised to do that to your little lambs. Lord God, grant repentance to this nation, to the people of this nation. Grant repentance, Lord, in the Middle East. Grant repentance uh, in the Sudan. Grant repentance in China. Grant repentance in North Korea, the other nations of the world, throughout Europe, to the ends of the earth, Lord. Cause your gospel to go forth. Bless now as we sing. Thank you that you tell us those who sow in tears will reap in joy. Those who turn from sin and turn to you, Lord Jesus, you turn our mourning into laughter. Praise your name. In Jesus we pray, amen.